0: Got it. Should I hit that? Actually,
1: hold on. Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous Podcast. I'm your host, Jim R. Today's episode 159 and we're going to be interviewing Regina. How are you doing today, Regina?
0: Oh, just peachy.
1: Just peachy? Excited to do this? (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) All right, well, let's get started. If you uh so my first question that I ask everybody is tell me about your childhood growing up.
0: Um well, up until 4th grade it was normal. Um uh, you know, I live with my parents, my mother and father. Um they were Christians, Catholic. Um I went to Catholic school. Um uh, 4th grade I started getting, you know, in the principal's office practically every day and um from then on it it was me against them nuns
1: let me ask you a question was there something that happened in fourth grade that made you different
0: well what happened was um in the schoolyard i used to there were i was young and we used to walk up a hill with like everybody that lived in um apartment buildings that we we lived in and um they were always older so one day I was in you know you, you wait in the schoolyard and before they ring the bell and then you go in but before that some an older girl that I used to walk with uh gave me this note and it was just some stupid thing about Adam and Eve you know like they were she was like in eighth grade I'm like in uh you know a fourth, and. Um, The nun saw it, and she came over to me and grabbed it out of my hand. I never even got to read the bloody thing. And uh, from then on, it was like, you know, I was, uh, I guess they thought I was bad.
1: What did the note say?
0: part I don't know. It was like a poem about probably sex, something, Adam and Eve, you know, stuff like that. Like something an eighth grader would write. Okay. <laughs> but you know, that and then it was like they would always like they'd label you, you know, you were either good or bad. And I was bad, and you know, I lived up to it too, I was always in trouble.
1: What kind of always things would cr- you do? Huh? What kind of things would you do? I don't
0: know, just start a fight with somebody, arguing. Um, you know, before that, you know, it was really cool. I mean, I was a good little girl and um i did pee pee my pants and during a spelling bee in the second grade and everybody would you know was laughing at me and pointing at me none brought me over to the convent gave me a pair of nun underwear <laughs> it was embarrassing but um uh, that didn't bother me as much as you know that note because they label you that's what they did anyway so um so you feel seven,
1: you feel like you were treated differently i guess
0: yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: How did they treat the bad kids? What, what would they do different?
0: Well, you know, well, first of all, I couldn't leave school. I had to wait like 15 minutes till the whole school got out and then they let me leave. Um, uh, you know, they, they were tough. Nuns were tough, I'm telling you. But I have to say they had, you know, I was smart. And, you know, I got good grades. And I think that's probably why they never kicked me out. Um, but uh, by seventh and eighth grade, I was already getting high. I was uh, a big glue sniffer. <laughs> it, it was like a, a kind of like a trend in the neighborhood I lived in. Stores, like, uh, you know, corner stores would sell you the glue and the bag together. <laughs> And um, that's where I started that. And my girlfriend's mother what used ki- to buy it.
1: Let me ask you a question: what kind of what kind of high would does sniffing glue? I never done it. It's like what kind of high is it? Is it an upper or a downer?
0: You know, it's like hallucinating. Okay. You know, it, you dream. That's what it is. But before that, I think what really started. I had a girlfriend who had an older sister, and what and teenagers. And what they were doing was they would. You know, put their arm around your neck and cut off your oxygen supply to your brain and it would yeah. like get a high. And that's I think after that, you know, it was just like I liked it. So uh, you know, whatever I could get high on, I did. My girlfriend's mother used to buy us booze to babysit and how old were um, you? Nine, ten. I and she would buy blue. you, and
1: she would buy you drink, uh, drinks at that age.
0: Well, uh, probably then drinking was like maybe twelve years old. Twelve years old is when I started snipping. And um, my mother was a nurse in a hospital, and at that time they didn't lock the, the narcotics. And she used to bring, like, I would get my period and uh, have cramps, so she'd bring me pain pills, and you know I liked them. Um, then my girlfriend's cousin worked babysat for these people who owned a pharmacy, a drugstore they called it then. And, um, they keep their narcotics in their linen cabinet. And, uh, you know, um, these older guys came over and that's the first time I did a, I guess, methamphetamine. It was black beauty was a capsule and it was uh, women took it for like to lose weight and uh, truck drivers used it for um, you know to be able to not fall asleep and um, that and uh, other things that were there narcotics they had a PDR and we read up on everything so I knew about pills and uh, that was it when I was 16 the week I turned sixteen, the boyfriend I had uh, for my birthday gave me the first bag of uh, dope, heroin, and um, at that time, you there were no uh, there were no plastic syringes, there was no rehab, there was no detox, there was no NA. NA was uh, over on the west coast. By the time it came to uh, the east coast. Uh, know that was a long time after that um i um one time i did uh, with a bunch of other people that were in the program where i was we went to aa and they didn't want us there <laughs> what said, age
1: did you what age did you start going to aa
0: i never saw. i went one time and they didn't want us there because you know when you say uh, oh, hi my name is regina and i'm a junkie i'm a i'm a dope fiend and uh they would say, well, you don't belong here. We don't do that. So we had to leave. And how that old was, were you? Oh, God. 17, 18.
1: So you, you recognized you had a problem very young.
0: Well, no, I didn't think it is a problem. I loved it. The first time I went, when that, my boyfriend gave me that, and I, and he showed me. how. See, you had to make your own, they call them works. You use an eyedropper. Uh. The uh, a baby's pacifier, the nipple—you would do it, and but you had to find the, uh, you know, the needle, the exact needle. And um, my mother, when she graduated nursing school, the school gave every all the students this uh, glass syringe, <laughs> and uh, I knew it was there, and I used to, I used that. She never she never paid attention to it, so she didn't know it was missing. But that's what I did. And um, otherwise you can buy it from a, you know, a doctor that knew what you were doing and didn't care, just needed the money. Um, or they could go in the emergency room and try to get one yourself, but that's, there were no plastic syringes then. And that is really so many people borrowed somebody else's. And that's how, I mean, they went from uh, hepatitis, infectious there was only two classes at then infectious and non-infectious and um a lot of people i knew a lot of people that were like orange i mean their eyes were orange you know they get jaundice from it and uh a lot of people um got hepatitis from it and that's what happened <laughs> but then um uh, you know, I, I I'm a little
1: ignorant. That. I'm a little ignorant in that area. What does hepatitis do to the body?
0: Hepatitis, it's your, uh, you get jaundice, you turn. It's, it has to do with your liver. Not okay. like that. Yeah. Um, I had it. I had hepat, now, and then they changed to like hepatitis C. Now, hepatitis C. I had hepatitis C for years, and um, hepatitis B, I think. And but I did interferon. You do interferon, and that was a. You had to get a, an injection every every Friday. I did for six months, and now I don't have it anymore. But uh, what what I started doing was. The first time I saw a bag of dope was the day the uh, Beatles came to America. It wasn't. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I love um, the be,
1: I'm a huge Beatles fan. What, what was that? 63 or 64?
0: Four, 64. Yeah. And with me and this girl and two other girls that weren't in our school, skipped school, took the train and, you know, Grand Central was loaded with teenagers And their parents, like, especially the mothers. (laughs) But um, they were supposed to be at uh, that Ed Sullivan Theater. I think it's 54th Street and Broadway.
1: In November. Um, It was November of 64.
0: Okay. And, um, but George Harrison got the flu. So it was postponed. So all those people there just ended up not doing it, not seeing any of them. Because they never showed. And uh, on the way back, the first stop uh, to the city we live in was um, 125th Street in Harlem. This guy got on the <laughs> on the uh, train and he sat like, there were four of us. So we sat, you know, pulling the seats back and we sat there and he sat next to us and he had this, these bags. I, I know it was a, a bundle of dope and, but I didn't know that then we were like, what is this guy crazy? You know, he was uh he got off the same uh city uh we lived in and I guess, you know, they a lot of dealers used to go because it was so it takes about uh maybe forty five minutes to get to Harlem from where we lived on the train and uh they would deal, you know, they were dealing. And that was a long time ago, but um I kind of gravitated right to uh, to Manhattan. I used to hang around on uh, the Lower East Side of 2nd Avenue and 6th Street. I met this guy. He was an NYU student from Philadelphia, and uh, he let me stay there with him. And right across the street was the Fillmore East, if you know anything about music. <laughs> I'm a musician.
1: Um, I love all that stuff.
0: Okay, well, I
1: saw. I, I know the Doors played there. I love Jim Morrison and the Doors.
0: Eric Clapton, Led Zeppelin, Jimmy Hendrix. I saw Jimmy Hendrix about five times. Um, it was. It's funny because the Almond Brothers. Um, it was. It was like two dollars, and the highest ticket where you got a real good seat was five dollars. And it it's like, can you imagine that? But um, and then up the street, uh, it was a church, the church that um, Peter Stuyvesant, that you know the Dutch settlers are all buried there. And I we used to hang around there because they had benches on the outside, and then I I knew everybody in that. It's a it actually it was the Bowery uh, area. That's what they call it. And um, I knew all those people and we used to hang out there. And then up further on 14th Street was an automat. And that's where all the dope fiends hung out. Um, they used to, in the mornings they would get the newspaper and um, they would see whose funeral was, you know, who died and who was having the funeral that day. And I would stand outside and just, you know, watch, make sure nobody came in, and they would rob the place. Um, And that's what they did. They were robbing funerals? They would rob the people whose funeral it was. A lot of Jewish people um, no, because they'd have stuff in their house, and they would rob them. Yeah. And that went on for a long time. But I get arrested in Grand Central Station once. I had like 2000 uh two and taped to my chest but I was waiting for my girlfriend to come from she lived in Blackbush uh, in Brooklyn and I was waiting for her to come so we can go to Connecticut and make some money um so uh I sat down with this black nun she was she wasn't real like a nun nun but she was just you know there with uh trying to get money and I fell out and I got arrested. What do and, you mean you fell out? You know, I just nodded out.
1: Oh, you nodded out. Okay.
0: Yeah. And um, it was a metro uh, policeman that arrested me. Um, that, <laughs> um, there was, at that time, they didn't bring women to Rikers Island. They had, it was called the Women's House of Detention. It's called the House of D, and that's where the first time I did methadone. They, if they would, add, the doctor actually would, you know, get the the girls who came from the court, and that takes all day. Um. And then they'd say they didn't even take your urine. They would just say, uh, "So are you going to be sick?" Which you know, most of them were, and they would just give you methadone. The doctors that place is torn down now because it was i think it was built in like the 1800s or something it was horrible my mother well first of all i didn't make no phone calls and they called for you so they called <clears throat> my mother wasn't home she worked nights and i think it or she was out and uh, my father answered and he hung up on them he didn't even find out where i was but when my mother came home the next day she was where's Regina? And my father said, I don't know, someplace in New York, in jail.
1: How, so, um, how old were you when you got put in the house of D?
0: Uh, I think it was like 17, 18.
1: So very young. Okay.
0: Yeah. And, um, and, you know, the women there, they try to hit on you for sure, especially if you're young and, you know, the first time you're there. Yeah. And, uh, my mother and my aunt, my godmother, um, called all over. Finally, they found out where I was. At 2 o'clock in the morning, she came with about three of my uncles to bind me out. She was always there for me, always. In emergency rooms. I was 15. I got shot in the arm by some guy. Um, she came. Every time I, I totaled her car, I had internal injuries uh, to my pancreas and small intestines. She left work and came. She was always there for me. Every time I OD'd, the hospital would call her, she would be there. Okay, now the last time, I mean, the time I was always arrested, she'd find me out, go to court with me, get a lawyer and um the last time we used to do crazy stuff in in New York I've been I was raped I was gang raped I um used to uh pick up tricks and you know you do that with two guys and the guys would take the trick off I never
1: you know uh,
0: sold my ass but uh that's what we would do take the trick off so the last time uh I um, it was I was in the city that we lived in, and this guy, uh, I worked. I mean, I did, you know, tricks with him. I would say, uh, could you give my brother a ride home? And he'd sit right behind the driver, and the guy would say, "Oh, sure." And uh, this time, this guy didn't want to give up his money, and the guy I was with stabbed him, and he went running out of the car. It wasn't even his car; it was his father in law's car and um I got behind the driver's wheel and I guess there were they he must have got somebody real quick because they put an A P B on us. I could hear the siren as I was driving, the police coming after us. And um uh, I took a corner and there were two police cars there. I smashed into them and smashed into the side of ninety five cement wall. The guy that <laughs> the guy that was with me Flew, you know, got thrown out of the car and uh, I got arrested. And they wanted to put me in Nyanak, which I already had been there
1: just to clear it up. So you were prosecuting Bullshit, yourself yeah. and somebody was watching to make sure you didn't get robbed, I guess, or whatever.
0: Well, no, 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 no. He, we, he would get he would, I would say, uh, can you bring my, give my brother a ride home? And there was this, uh, housing project where underneath was the parking lot and it was dark and you know nobody would really pay attention to you because nobody gave a shit and um that's where we would take them off you know he would rob them and i would just you know do nothing watch but this time he cut the guy and the guy went crazy screaming and um <clears throat> So what happened was my mother, again, finds this, uh, this a, a woman's rehab. And it was like the first ones because the rehabs they had were state, usually in state hospitals. Now, in a state hospital, uh, they were, um, the therapy they used wasn't, was like, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of, Took any psychology course you ever of pavlo's dogs no i haven't you haven't okay well pavlo's dog it was conditioning behavior modification is what they called it and uh it was this behaviorist guy his name is bf skinner and he um his therapy was you uh it's all about behavior it's not that it nothing to do with thinking it's just the way you behave they try to break down your image They would make you wear diapers, like, over your pants. They would make you carry signs saying, like, I'm a jerk, I'm an asshole, I'm a baby. Have you, you know, wearing baby bonnets and stuff like that. And they try to humiliate you to death. People I know that were there on warrant, you know, they had warrant. If you left, you had a warrant. Didn't care, they left because it was just so humiliating. They would really tear your ass up. And um, they'd have marathons. you'd have to listen to that stuff all night long uh you know, and that it wasn't, but the program that I went to was in Graymore. I don't know if you know are you familiar with New York at all?
1: Yeah, yeah, I live in New Jersey actually, and i okay. worked in, I used you know, to work in New York for ten years.
0: well, this is in garrison, it's uh called Graymore. And there's St. Christopher's Inn. St. Christopher's Inn uh, had took care of alcoholics. They came from New York on a bus. A bus would pick them up and drop them off on Route nine. Where in New York are you from?:
1: I'm in New Jersey. Oh Jersey My family My family's originally from the Bronx.:
0: Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Um, so this program was so different. Actually, it was started by this priest, Father Dan Egan, and he was from the Bronx, and um, he used to stand outside that woman's house of detention and help girls, like he'd help them get, you know, housing, um, detox, um, and uh, his name, they called him the Junkie Priest. He has a a book, it's called The Junkie Priest, and uh, he started the program, I guess the the Franciscan, um, monastery that was there, they gave him this old farmhouse that was, uh, I think it was like priests who were, or people who were going to be priests lived there. It was a beautiful house. It had a farm. We had a horse. There was a pool, uh, dogs, um, three dogs. And, um, it, it was It was huge and um it had just opened up i think in uh seventy nineteen seventy so I went there in seventy three and um it, they it was like uh so different from those other programs they would talk about values attitudes you know goals, your lifestyles world views a lot of stuff, and it was a big thing on um education you had, you went to school, if you, uh, I had already already taken my GED, so, uh, you know, I took college courses, and they would get, like, really smart, smart people, because, you know, Catholic education, you, you learn, those uh, nuns and priests knew what they were doing, and, you know, they had, like, monster degrees, and um, that's, where I started like really getting into it. I loved it. I loved to study. I love to learn stuff. And uh, then we did psychology courses, um, philosophy. I remember <laughs> taking an existential philosophy course, um, literature. Um, and then what happened was I finished that program that, um, I think I was there like a year and a half and they had a reentry house and not many, and that is really, that's where you really put everything that you learned in the program. You know, you have to live it. And most programs like now are a joke. (laughs) They say, you know, 30 days, you ain't going to change in 30 days. You ain't going to change in 60 days. You ain't going to change in 90 days. That just don't happen. And there's such a waste of money it's horrible. This program, uh, you know, had a reentry house and that really makes a difference because when I went to the reentry house with like, I think five other women who were finished down there in that first phase of the program, uh, we, I started college and I mean, college, college, uh, Marist college on, uh, right on the Hudson. And, um, I majored in liberal arts. I uh had a concentration in history. I, I took a concentration in ancient civilizations and a minor in philosophy. And uh you know, every uh, semester I was on the dean's list. I graduated with uh magna cum laude and um <laughs> and I ran the rancher house for a while. Um after that i met i moved back to the city that I came from, which was a huge mistake um and met this man that i uh used to get high with, and supposedly he told me he don't do that no more he was working and um so uh we hooked up and I got pregnant and uh he the day I graduated from college and the program at the same time um, he brought my mother and my nephew up there it, it was in Poughkeepsie New York and um, he was sick he was dope sick little did I know but it was kind of like too late so uh, he went to a program in Albany and uh Yes, he was doing good, but, you know, came back to Bristol after, and that's when P-Dope became, like, uh, the thing to do, Um, and he started getting high, so what happened, I figured, let's move, and we moved to, my parents had a house that they rented out in Pennsylvania, in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and that's where we moved, we got HUD, and Did the whole house over, foundation, all that crap. Because it was an old house. And um, I had two sons there. But when I was uh, pregnant with my second son, Benjamin, I I kicked him out because he was still getting high. He was going. But sometimes he would drive from Scranton all the way to Bridgeport (laughs) twice a day. To get, you know, dope, and um, I I just couldn't take it no more because I was clean all that time. I was clean thirteen years, and um, I kicked him out. And then I went into labor two weeks later. I drove myself to the hospital. It was just, I thought that was the saddest day of my life when you know nobody came to see. Well, I didn't know anybody there really that would come and visit me. um You know, no, I wasn't, I didn't care about myself. It was, you know, the baby, nobody came to see him, nobody came to bring a present. No, it it was horrible. It was, I, I thought that was the saddest day in my life. Little did I know that there was worse to come. Um, my mother took my first son to Connecticut with her, and uh, I was there by myself uh you know it drove us home and it was it was sad um then uh his mother, who was an enabler to the max um gave him money to open up a body shop because that was what he did um he, he did like um restoration to like classic cars his thing was austin healy we always had an austin healy and um jaguars mgs stuff like that you make a lot of money but (laughs) he just hired people that were you know friends of his and friends of his aren't you know weren't exactly uh you know great citizens um They were still getting high. He had, uh, I know he had drugs in them. He had a great big safe. And eventually what happened was um, he had uh, the uh, state police. They had this, uh, like, um, car theft. You know, they blocked off the streets, busted all of them. And um, he went to court for that for four years and um what
1: they get busted for pardon me what did they get busted for
0: uh stealing cars okay um like a chop shop really you know where you steal a car and then sell the part
1: yep no I know a lot
0: of money that way and um then oh and then that's we moved back when he first got the business we moved from Pennsylvania. Um, my mother sold the house and um, we lived together. And that, that really was the best, the best time I was there with him. Mm-hmm. I was with him for almost 30 years with the kids. Um, so I had three sons. And then, uh, you know, he just never, never stopped using and eventually I relapsed after 13 years and my sons were just turning teenagers and they, the house that we lived in, his mother gave us the house. So, cause she moved down South and um, it, it just uh, was horrible. We had, police raids they used to come in bust the door in five o'clock in the morning drag them out of their beds rooms upstairs you know one time i remember a little sam it, it, it was in the winter and they left the door open and he goes i'm cold can you shut the door and she said shut the f up the police will and then uh, we had home invasions um uh t- the last time we had a home invasion was like one o'clock in the afternoon, and these <laughs> super guys, but you know they they come with guns and they'll you know jack you up uh, but eventually oh um another thing is their father uh was in federal prison twice. Lewisburg, the big house they call it um, and uh, Fort Dix, he was in Fort Dix at the same time uh, remember the movie Blow? Oh yeah. You know, George Young, well he was there with him. They used to walk around the yard but uh, that was for I mean it's it's hard to believe but this really happened. His father was retiring. His father had a body shop. Two of them, as a matter of fact. And he retired, and he was trying to hide money from the IRS. So when we were in Pennsylvania, he came to. Uh, they weren't really good, you know, father and son buddies. Um, he came to my first son's uh, baptism, you know, con- uh, baptism, christening, and uh, I. He had to be there just to make sure that we were going to stay there because uh, when we moved back and lived with him in his mother's house, one day we were going out to the grocery store and the phone rang and it was the bank. And they said, uh, John, um, there's a $50 um, uh, check here that bounced. Can we take it out of your savings? We had no savings. He had no savings, but he said, quick as, you know, slick as can be. Yeah, sure, go ahead. Then what happened was we tried to get a passport from the bank in Bridgeport, but they were just not, you know. Although every, the account had his, all his, John's vital statistics, all of them, you know, his social security number. He had the address. Everything was right. And, uh, so I did my mother's banking in the same you know, the same bank, but in a different branch in a different town. So I knew the people and the woman was so nice. She goes, Oh, because he, the father had his mother who was like a hundred and his brother who was like 90 something, just their names. He didn't put no numbers, no address, no nothing. So I said, well, um, you know we need the passport. She goes. Well, we have to get this signed. I said they're old. They can't come here. She goes here. Take it and go get a sign for them. So we went to lunch. I signed the papers. Came back and they gave us the passport. Well, he was afraid to, uh, you know, take any of the money. So what we did was we went to the bank and different bank and took a five thousand dollar loan, which they gave to us right there. It was uh, seventy two thousand dollars plus two cds in there then they gave us six credit cards american express gold i think there was ten thousand dollar limit on each of those six credit cards in six months we had no money left not only that his mother's husband um died and she gave him his truck which was a custom truck it was brand new we sold, he sold that. And we never even got a car with all that money. We just died with it. No, we he bought like the kids' computers and stuff like that, but it was gone six months, all that money. Can you imagine? <clears throat> all of it gone. And um, that, so two years later, the people downstairs smoking crack, the doorbell rings. My nephew goes and answers the door. He comes down. He goes. It's the FBI. Like, yeah, sure. The FBI. Okay. It was the FBI. They never arrested arrested him because it was their mistake. They shouldn't have did that. It was all in his name. His all his social security number. So what they did was this is how slick they are. They put him on probation. He needed to get on a methadone program. He. Begged them to put him on the methadone program, but they wouldn't. I don't. I, I just really don't know why they didn't. But um, I was on the methadone program, and um, he had to give up a urine and go to this stupid, stupid class where this guy was an idiot. I could have thought a better taught a better, you know, uh, class than he did. But they used to take his urine, and he never gave a clean urine. So finally. They just, he violated his probation and he had to do time. That's how he ended up in both those prisons.
1: Let me ask you something. When you, all this is going on in your life. When did you know that you had a problem with drugs? What was the, when did you say (laughs) I need to stop?
0: Okay. the When I um, went to that program. No, actually, no, I shouldn't say that because my mother, I fell out again in this mall that was in, in Bridgeport. And, uh, <clears throat> I went to Bridgeport hospital. My mother came and the doctor there, talked her into committing me to a state hospital, a state mental hospital. But at that time was when they were first bringing as those, uh, those uh, drug programs. Like I remember I told you about, about that behavior modification stuff.
1: Yes. So they
0: interviewed me for that. And, uh, I was supposed to go but I never did. Um I went uh, to Pennsylvania with my father's my father's sisters who were like old spinsters and <laughs> that's um where I stayed for like a couple weeks and then I came back to Bridgeport. And um that that's when I uh, at that time when I, you know, Realize when doctors talked to me and asked me all kinds of questions then I, I mean i knew I knew all along that, that I had problems all along you know i mean i I did whatever was there I did they used to have this i remember they used to have this- cig, uh cigarette it was for people who had asthma it was called asthmador and in the cigarette, one of the ingredients was belladonna now you know belladonna. <laughs> I never could eat a whole one because I would gag. I'm a big gagger, I gag, but you know you you hallucinate by eating that tobacco. That's how crazy it was. I mean, <laughs> but then you know uh, I did all kinds of LSD, uh, mescaline, mushrooms, whatever, and uh, and then the pills. I knew I had a problem when I first started sniffing glue. yeah
1: so when did you decide to do something about it what what oh, made okay. you decide to quit
0: um because i kept getting in trouble all the time i went once with my mother to this uh retreat it was in Stamford, connecticut at some famous house some lady rich lady gave um place to a uh, priest i guess and um I talked to the priest I told him what was going on with me that I was a drug addict and heroin addict and he goes I can't help you I know nothing about that I'm like holy shit are you serious (laughs) so what happened was I went into the chapel and I started praying and I just cried and this woman I never met her in my entire life came behind me and she said tap me on the shoulder she goes can I talk to you I know but when she started talking to me, it was like stuff just clicked in my head. I they call it like a revelatory experience where all of a sudden this it it has to be the Holy Spirit just overcome me, and I was like, I was not a doubt in my mind that this wasn't for real. You know, I just knew everything that I learned in. Uh, in Catholic school was for real God was really for real and uh, he saved me then Um, I was clean for like maybe six months which was a long time because I never clean a week Um, but then what happened was uh, the girls that I worked with you know we started going to clubs and drinking and you can't drink if you're a fiend. You, you can't drink if you get high. Uh, you just can't because as soon as you do, boom, you're right back to square one again. Okay. And uh, that's what happened. I mean, I gave up all that. I mean, it was, it, it just, I don't know. But uh, I did and I started uh, getting high again and then all that stuff happened. And I ended up going to New Hope Manor was the name of the program in Garrison at Father Regan started um after that after when i relapsed and had the kids um again one night my son my older son moved out because he couldn't take it anymore and he came i hadn't seen him in like a year and a half he came to our house and he said i want to talk to you we went upstairs he talked to me he said look i can't I can't watch you do this to yourself no more. If you don't stop, he said, if you don't stop getting high, and he hated methadone. I was on every methadone program from uh, Stanford to Danbury. What, Sam? What would you like for dinner? No, no, not now, Sam. I'm still doing this. Oh, okay, sorry. All right. Um, okay. And he said, either you've got to clean up or I will never talk to you again, and he's the kind of guy that won't um so I knew I was in trouble because I knew I could not do that myself, I just couldn't, so that night, I prayed and I cried, I begged, I bargained, I pleaded, and um that same thing happened that happened in that in that retreat. it just overtook me, and i just i just that I never, and I'm going to tell you something. I never, never had an urge, a desire, or a fleeting thought to use. Never again. And there were three people actively, you know, uh, doing heroin in the house I lived in. my uh, Their father, my nephew, and my son, Benjamin. And uh, I, I never... Never got an urge. I even quit smoking. And there were four people that were smokers. And I never got the an urge to do to smoke again or to get high ever. Till this day. That don't happen to me.
1: How I long are you clean? Good. How long ago was this?
0: The, uh, that was in uh twenty fourteen.
1: Okay. Matthews. That's a long time, eight years. Pardon me? I said that's a long time, eight years.
0: Yeah, it'll be nine years in um, December. Yeah.
1: Congratulations.
0: You're welcome. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, but even after all that, uh, their father died in 2015 and then Benjamin, that's my second son. I knew they all, I used to let them smoke weed because I didn't want them drinking. I figured drinking, they could smash a car. They're not going to do anything with weed. So I knew, I mean, our house was like, I can't tell you. First of all, Benjamin had a, uh, he sold weed and he made lots of money because lots of people came to our house to buy his weed. And, um, but his friend uh, was a carpenter kinda, and he would cut his almost cut his finger, his fingers off. He did lose a couple fingers, you know, with a circular saw trying to cut wood, wet wood, which I know you can't. I mean that's stupid, but anyway, this that's when the Oxys came, you know, with that stupid Purdue and the slacker family, um, you know, that tried to say it wasn't addictive. You didn't, you know, get addicted to oxys, which is horseshit. I knew it was horseshit. But the kid, Benny's friend, had the prescription. And they started splitting the prescription. They was oxy-80s. And that's like as high as you can get.
1: Yeah,
0: that's to, a big pill. They used to go for like $30, $40 on the street for one. And uh, so they started splitting it. Six months later, the doctor cuts them off, doesn't taper them down, doesn't give them detox, nothing, just cuts them off. So naturally, since, you know, my son, they knew every dealer in Bridgeport because they were always at our house. Um, so both of them started to, uh Benjamin never shot though, he's just snorted. And that was kind of worse because uh, in order for you to do that, you kind of don't, you have to do more. So he always was, you know, a gluttonous, you know, just like his father. You know, he had to do more. He had to be hanging or, you know, it wasn't any good. But anyway, he went and he, uh, he got into recovery. He, I took him to every uh, uh, methadone program there was. He always gave dirty urines, got kicked off at every one of them. Uh, when I first started, there was only one methadone program. There's like five or six now with three, four hundred people on each one. So you can imagine. <laughs> Just figure that out.
1: Big program. Yeah. So how, yeah. getting back yeah. to you, getting back to you, how have you enjoyed your recovery so far? How what? How do you have, how have you enjoyed your recovery? Is this, you know what I mean? How is, is life better for you now that you're sober?
0: No, because... I blame myself. I, I didn't finish this story.
1: Oh, I apologize.
0: Benjamin, okay, he went and he got a CNA. He worked in a school with uh, disabled young men and women. And he was so he was so good with them. They loved him. I and mean, he loved his job. He um he used to take them like to places on weekends where where he you know, without his time off, he wasn't working. He used to pick them up, bring them to like hockey games and the circus, the zoo, anything they those guys could get in for free. Um, one of the guys still texts me. He was really close to Benjamin. Anna, veteran It was a day before Veterans Day, 2017. I he, Benny never. Missed work. He always was early. Well, when I woke up, I saw the van because he used to have to pick them up, pick the guys up. And the van was still in the driveway. And I I knew he was still in the house. So I went in his room. He was dead. He was stiff. I couldn't get his arm down. Um, And I blame myself for that.
1: Well, you can't blame um, yourself you can't yeah, control well,
0: I, no no, don't tell me that because everything he learned he learned from me and his father you know how to be and it's not even it has to do with drugs it has to do with lifestyle. He you know how you can connive you scheme you, you you rob people you just hurt so many people by just being a selfish person it's no he learned that He learned that from me. (laughs) When they were little, I used to take them boosting with me. Oh, He learned learned from me. And the people that were always at our house. (laughs) One of the dealers used to take them swimming in the summer in pools and stuff. Because, uh, you know, he was kind of like a nice guy. Um, but uh, no, I blame myself. I blame myself. So uh, he died. I had to call his brothers and let them know they came. And um, God, this is but Benjamin was switching from Optimum to Frontier. The guy who was setting up, you know, all our uh, uh, you know the internet for us came the day he died and he was poor thing he was all over the house um, it took a long time for the medical examiner to get there because you know the police stay there I never found Benjamin's wallet um, they took his phone but I got it back and uh, it was horrible it was horrible I, you just cannot Express when I walked in that room, I knew right off he was done. He, his lips were blue. It, it, it was horrible. I can't put into words what that was like. Not only that, but then, you know, later you think, never again, never again am I going to hear his voice. Am I going to get a hug, a kiss? He's so, when he used to call me and say, I'd say, I love you, Ben. He goes, I love you more, always. He was such a kind guy. Like, he always helped, always helping somebody, like neighbors and, you know, his friends, parents, stuff like that. He he was a really good guy.
1: I'm really sorry to hear about your loss. I mean, that's, like you said, I can't imagine what that would feel like.
0: Yeah. But let me tell you something. This is what happened. I was so crazy about that because being Catholic, you know, they tell you if you have a mortal sin on your soul and you die, you're going right to hell. And I, that bothered me so bad. I used to go to church up at the hospital. That was like a block away, two blocks away. And uh, there was a there were priests there, uh, an older one and a younger one. And I, I, they knew. I told them what happened, and, you know, although they didn't know Benjamin, but they were very nice. And, and I I was distraught. I was like losing my mind. I, I just couldn't picture him being alone. And now it got to be horrible. So I, I really went, drove them crazy about that. And I couldn't believe they tell me that. Oh, no. <laughs> In the end, We're all going to be saved. And I'm like, how could you say that? How could you say that? Jesus, of all people, talks about hell more than anybody in the New Testament. I know that because I studied the New Testament. I studied the Old Testament, too. But how can you say they believe in that universalism, you know, universalism? Oh, everybody's going to be saved. I think that's a crap of shit. But anyway, um, so one day I was like crazy and I fell asleep and I had this dream. I never, never had a dream that was so vivid and so real as this. I, I dreamed. My nephew ran in and said, somebody wants to see you. And I said, well, bring them in. And um, in Walk Benny, he was so, so, I to I say beautiful. He was 34 when he died. He looked like he was, like he did when he was 18. It was hard to see because you ever look through, uh, like, behind somebody, like the sunbeams are in. So it was really hard to see him. But the colors were so vibrant. And I got up, like, to to run to him. And... All of a sudden this thought came into my head. And I said, Benny, you're dead. And I woke up. But it made me feel so good to see that he was like at peace. And I know that had to be the Holy Spirit. Because I was losing it. And. I know that's what it was. It sounds stupid, but. I just oh, don't. It doesn't
1: sound. It doesn't sound stupid at all. I understand. You know, everyone has their own beliefs and whatever helps you. You know, if that's that's a good
0: thing. Yeah. Yeah. That really made me feel so much better. I was at, at peace, but it's still, you know, that guilt. That how could I do that to my kids? Matthew claims PTSD from living there. And, and yeah, I think. But he's doing great. Sam's um, here with me. He lives with me. So does my nephew. My nephew just came from Teen Challenge in Long Island. I swear to God, I, I, I prayed him. <laughs> I prayed him clean. I prayed for him because he left. He just walked out of here one morning and to go get his methanol, never came back till uh, two months ago. Nobody knew where he was. He was, you know, on the program and he started drinking. So, but now he's uh, he's born again. That's you know, teen Challenge, don't you?
1: No, I'm not. I know what Born Again is, but I'm not familiar with Teen Challenge.
0: You never heard of Teen Challenge before? It's not Teen Challenge. Now it's adult and Teen Challenge, but it was, you know, the guy who will uh, cross the switchblade? No. Oh, you don't? No. Well, he started started this program a long time ago. Actually, probably in the early 70s. what the heck is his name I can't think of his name but uh, anyway it's a, it's a good program um, you know they're all over they have uh, programs there he was in uh, West Babylon Long Island they have one in Rochester, uh, Albany um, the Dominican Republic he went to the Dominican Republic too um, just all over and uh, Florida they have programs so it's you know, it's a good program. It changes weird. you.
1: So, again, towards the end here, I wanted to ask you a question. Sure. Do you have any advice for people watching and listening?
0: Yeah. No matter what it is, you you don't get out of life without pain. Without pain, you know, life's lessons learned. Uh, if you don't learn them. You're going to reap them. You reap what you sow. And that's so for real. You know, every rotten thing that I did, I got paid back for it. Sometimes, and I hate when they say karma, because karma is a Buddhist uh, principle. It's not our principle. I mean, you know, if you believe in Christ, it's uh, it's right order, actually, the way it is. And when you go against that, you reap you reap it. You reap what you sow. And that's for real. And don't think, like, you know, you know this is the other thing. Um, you know, there are people who are always saying, oh, you know, they're trying to find who they are, you know, and they're searching for God. That doesn't, no, it's not, you're not searching for God. God is after your butt. Like, do you ever read The Hound to Heaven? No. Well, you should. <laughs> it's, uh, this poem about this this man, his name was Francis Thompson. The name of the poem is "Hound of Heaven," and it's his. Um, he was uh, living in London under bridges, homeless. He used to sell matches during the time of Jack the Ripper. He, uh, he was in medical school and he dropped out because he wanted to go to London and be a writer. And uh, he wrote that magnificent uh, poem. The Hound of Heaven where, you know, God is looking for you. He wants to save you. Jesus came to save not people who are, like, together, not people who are, you know, uh, okay. Um, a doctor doesn't go to people who are well. That's why Jesus ate with sinners. You know, the sinners, the the, the tax collectors. the prostitutes. Um he came for people who need him, not people who don't need him. And I I'm I I'd go to my death believing that. And uh if you don't, you know, there's a time there's a reckoning for sure. There's a reckoning. Yep. I believe that wholeheartedly. You pay for everything. May not be paying with money, but you pay with something.
1: So yeah, did you have anything you wanted to throw in? Anything you uh, wanted to say before we go?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. It's just it's such a waste. You're wasting. You you know life is so short. I don't know. Uh, you waste. Don't waste yourself. Don't waste that precious time. And the thing is, it it's it's for real. It's you know, uh everybody's gonna find that out sooner or later. That's mm. the way I look at it. Yeah.
1: I really appreciate you doing the podcast today. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Anytime. I really, like I said, I really do appreciate it. So just sit tight for me and for everybody watching and listening. If you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can check us out on Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Tumblr. You can also check out our website, www.addicts-anonymous.com. There you'll find plenty of resources and free literature. So that's all I have for today. I hope you enjoyed.